This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Hansen. Today we're going to continue with a message taught by Pastor Ty Goldstrom on Nehemiah, originally recorded August 9, 2003, while I was in Jamaica. Now sit back and enjoy the continuation. But you find out where the person's at, you put them in a proper spot. You know what, this is another thing that happens in churches all the time. Somebody comes to the door, we'll say the worship leader is the person, that's the department head, says, you know what, we're real thin on singers, but that person has a great voice. Or that person can really play the drums. And so what happens? That's the qualifications, you're hired. Now that's not the terminology they use, but that's really what happens. You fit the bill. I need a drummer. You're drumming. And so now we have what? We have a person up there on the platform that they themselves are in total shambles. We don't care they care about their lives, really. You know what I'm saying? Just lead us into the presence of Christ. Play that instrument. Sing that song. You know, if you go into most churches today, unfortunately, the choir's got big problems. And so really that cliche of preaching to the choir doesn't hold any longer, does it? Because the choir is usually the place that has the most problems. I mean, I knew the choir of churches that I went to. I mean, I told you the story of me, back in the day, slinging lattes at a church. (laughs) And I am the one that got to see that choir come out from there and to see what they were talking about right after they led us into the presence of Jesus. The Lord ministered to me through it, to teach me a lesson. That it doesn't matter what you call yourself, you could be called pastor, you could be called choir member, song leader, and you could be so far from Jesus Christ. you got to understand that, folks. It's not about labels, it's about spiritual reality. And that fruit can be seen, that fruit can be discerned. You can't hide that forever. Because out of the what? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The man speaks. You can't help it. You can help it for a two-hour interview, but you can't help it over a period of time. What's really in your heart, what's really interesting to you, what you really care about, you're going to talk about it. And I get to see that all the time. Straight off the platform, leading people in the presence of Christ, and they're talking about everything that's so far from Jesus Christ. And many times, talking about what they're doing in business, computers, this, that, the other. Amen? How did I get to that tangent? Motivated by personal considerations. And so again, there's churches that do this all the time. They put people in places of leadership that are not qualified for leadership. I believe that anyone that has any leadership on a platform, whether it's called pastor or whether it's called drummer boy, you've got to know their life. You've got to know them. They've got to be discipled. They've got to be clean. Because why? Because you're going to use them to usher the people in the presence of Christ. So that's important to know. The last one I want to talk about here is this natural leader is independent. Okay, and the spiritual leader is what? God-dependent. And we've kind of alluded to that already. 
So now that we've kind of went on that tangent, I want to come back and talk about, again, I believe that this is a constant struggle. You cannot go to a Christian today or a leader in the church today and say, that man or woman is in this category or that woman is in this category. It's always both. And you've got to understand that. If you're saying you're only in this, then your doctrine is, a doctrine that I do not agree with, is that the sinful nature is gone at conversion. And I reject that. My pastor rejects that. So therefore, you're wrong. But that's true. I mean, this, there's a lot of people in the church that believe that once you become to conversion, that the sinful nature is eradicated. And I wrote a nice paper about that to a professor at Northwest College. Gave me an A, but he didn't agree with me, about the sinful nature. Because he believed that at conversion, the sinful nature is gone. So you can't say that someone's mature or someone's immature. You're always on a continuum, isn't it? It's not a yes or no. Sanctification isn't yes or no. You can't go, are you sanctified? Yes or no. It's yes and no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's always a continuum. And it's the same thing here. Every single pastor, every apostle, every prophet, every evangelist, every Christian, every choir person, every spiritual leader, they are both in these categories. But their goal is sanctification. Their goal is to progress this way, isn't it? You know, I really was touched by a leader once. I'll even say who it is. Dr. Mum. A few of you know Dr. Mum, Dr. Lau, from the church down in Mercer Island. I really learned a lot from him one day because he met me at the hospital one time, at Overlake Hospital. He's a surgeon. Because he just wanted to talk to me and get to know me. So we talked for a couple hours, and he, it really taught me because the fact that it stuck with me today shows how much it had an impact on me. He was transparent with me. He said, you know what, Ty? I was tempted in the flesh to look at you with motivation for personal consideration. I'm using my own terminology. This is what he said. He says, I was tempted to look at you for personal consideration about how you might fit into my church. This is before we had a fellowship. And he said, I prayed all the way here that I wouldn't do that. That deeply touched me. Because that really shows that we are always here. And we're always battling against this natural mind that wants to be self-confident, that wants to, to use connections, whether it be man or bank, who wants to make their own decisions. My will be done. My kingdom be established. That's ambitious in a worldly sense. That originates their own methods to get the job done. Who enjoys commanding others. Are motivated by fleshly or worldly considerations. And they're independent. We are independent in the flesh. God calls us to be what? To be codependent on each other. Right? To be interdependent. The body of Christ, it must be. By definition, it's supposed to be interdependence. And many people struggle, and all people struggle, with being independent. Isn't that true? Independence. We don't want to rely on each other. What happens when we struggle with something? We have an area of concern. We're really burdened with something. What is our natural tendency to do? Pull away, isn't it? Pull away. So finally, there's a place where everyone's saying, brother so-and-so, it is so obvious that you're struggling. Can I somehow help you? Praise God for that, huh? You can't hide it when you're struggling. That's why it's important to be transparent with one another. Praise the Lord. So we are our worst enemy. I want to read you a poem. This is by Amy Carmichael. Listen closely to this. God hardened me against myself, the coward with pathetic voice, who craves the ease and rest and joy. Myself, arch-traitor to myself. My hollowedest friend, my deadliest foe, my clog, whatever road I go. Did you capture that? She understood that her own worst enemy was who? It was herself. She's the one that was really the catalyst or the hindrance to personal revival. 
Is it God's will that we be in personal revival? Does he, does he look down at his children and say, well, I'm not really wanting them to be in personal revival right now. It is always Jesus' will that we're in personal revival. It is always Jesus' will that a corporate fellowship is in revival. It's always his will. What's revival mean? To not be dead. That's what revival means. To not be dead. To not be here. Because this way leads where? To death. There's a way that seems right unto man. But therein at the end it leads to death. This is what personal revival is. God's will for a person or for a congregation or for a city or for a country is revival, revival, revival. It shouldn't be the one flicker out there. It should be the norm. That's what he desires. He longs to lavish us with that. All that is, is going from here to here. Being transformed in your mind. When he commands you to be transformed in your mind, what he's saying is, you're here, and I want you to go this way. Be transformed in your mind. There was a church once that was in revival for a couple of years. And all of a sudden, there's some sin that got entered into that camp. And they weren't in revival anymore. And you know what the preacher from the pulpit says? He used that was it Ecclesiastes? There's a time for this and a time for that. I say that there's a time to repent. <laughs> Amen? Because he's trying to say that there's a time for revival, and there's a time for preparation and growth and teaching. That's nice. But what you're saying is you can't have teaching and growth and discipleship and not have revival? Are they mutually exclusive? No. God always wants revival. And if you're making excuses why there's no revival, it's because there's sin in the camp that has not been dealt with. There is no time for no revival. No time. There's no acceptable time for no revival. If there's no revival in a person's life, it isn't God's fault, it's your fault. If there's no revival in a congregation, it's not God's fault, it's their fault. You gotta accept that. If you don't accept it, you'll make excuses. Amen? And you'll be like the Unitarians. Lord, I can't repent. As soon as you make me repent, I'll repent. This is what Finney went against so often. Okay, praise the Lord. So Nehemiah was a man of prayer. I just want to go over a couple of scriptures with you. One of the most famous prayers in all the Bible. And if you want to learn how to pray, firstly the Lord's Prayer, and then read this prayer. Because there is so much. We could spend a couple hours just talking about these seven or eight verses or whatever it is. Because it is so packed. And really, the nice thing about it is, if you want to learn about some of the aspects, and we'll get into them briefly today, about the aspects of the leadership of Nehemiah, it's right in this prayer. Let's read it from chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. The words or story of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, now in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year of the Persian king, as I was in the castle of Shishan, Hanani, one of my kinsmen, came with certain men from Judah and asked them about the surviving Jews who had escaped exile and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the providence who escaped exile are in great trouble and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its fortified gates are destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and fasted and prayed constantly before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, who keeps covenant, loving kindness, and mercy for those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open. To listen to the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you day and night for the Israelites, your servants, confessing the sins of the Israelites, which we have sinned against you. Yes, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you 
and have not kept the commandments, statutes, and ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you transgress and are unfaithful, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts were in the farthest parts of the heavens, the expanses of outer space, yet will I gather them from them and I will bring them to a place in which I have chosen to set my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere and fear your name and prosper, I pray you, your servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was cupbearer to the king. Now my goal today is not to, I mean really we could spend so much time on that prayer because when I think of the great prayers of the Bible, this is like one of the top two or three. There is so much power, so much theology, and so much teaching on spiritual leadership, about spiritual authority right there in that prayer. The key verse there, verse 11, I want to read verse 11 again. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere and fear your name. Quickly, I just want to go a couple different ones just so you can understand the prayer life. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, The king said to me, For what do you ask? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Chapter 4 in verse 4. These are ones you can reference also in your own time if you write them. And it says in verse 4 of chapter 4, And Nehemiah prayed, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunts upon their own heads and give them for a prey in the land of their captivity. Chapter 5 and verse 19. O oh my God, earnestly remember me for good for all I have done for this people. Chapter 6 and verse 14. My God, think on Tobiah and Sambal according to those of their works and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have put me in fear. Chapter 13, if you skip a couple chapters. And verse 14. O oh my God, earnestly remember me concerning the and wipe not out my good deeds and kindnesses done for the house of my God and for his service. In verse 22, And I commanded the Levites to cleanse themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. O oh my God, earnestly remember the concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy and loving kindness. In verse 29, O oh my God, remember them because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priests and Levites. Just a couple of sample passages. So his life of prayer allowed him to understand the heart of God, the will of God, and the methods of God. It is by that prayer that we can make this transformation right here. It is by prayer that we know what God has. He, we know His heart. He transformed our carnal nature. This is where our carnal nature finds itself expressing itself. This is what the carnal nature looks like. But Jesus desires that we go into that prayer closet so it can be transformed from this into this so we can know His heart. Amen? A couple aspects of the leadership of Nehemiah also with him, Ezra. As they themselves rediscovered the methods of God. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, there's a restoration of the authority of the Word of God. In chapter 8 and verse 14, there was the restoration of the Feast of Tabernacles. In chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, there's the reading of the Word, which restores relationship by confession of sin and repentance. Remember when they heard the word of God, it was so, I mean, they talked about it. It says like for half a day they read the word of God. And how did the people respond? 
So first there was a restoration of the word of God, which was not the law of the land any longer. Under Nehemiah's influence and leadership, he restores the word of God as the standard of faith. And what comes out of it, as soon as they hear the, the word of God, it's matched up against the people and they can see their sin. They can agree with Jesus Christ and say, we have sinned against you. There is a restoration not only of the word of God, but there's a restoration of biblical repentance, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Chapter 13, verses 4 through 9, is a restoration and cleanliness before God in which they cleanse the temple of Tobiah's sacrilegious furniture. Again, the Lord in the book of Leviticus and other places in the Old Testament showed how the temple was supposed to be. And yet, in their arrogance, what they do? They found their own methods, their own decisions, the carnal nature, the carnal leadership. And they decided they'll do it their own way. They'll have their own furniture and how they want to decorate the temple. It's their way. But you remember how explicit Jesus Christ was about how things are supposed to be done? And they said, no, no, no. We'll make our own decisions here because they were self-confident in their self. And they made their own methods. And they worked independently of the Scriptures and of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 13 and verse 9, there's a restoration of the holy vessels. And they were instituted after the cleansing of Tobias' sacrilege. Chapter 13 and verse 5, there's a restoration of the tithe to the treasury. Chapter 13 and verse 15, there's a restoration of the Sabbath, which had been desecrated. For years. And finally, under Nehemiah's leadership, there's a restoration of it. Chapter 13, verses 23 through 25, there's a restoration of relationships. And that intermarriage with surrounding countries were terminated. And the separation from them was affected. So here we are with Nehemiah in prayer. And this really, only the reason I want to put this up, because I want people to understand that we constantly battle on these two columns. And that we must be men and women of prayer because if you do not pray by default, you find yourself here. The default is a sinful nature. Unless you allow the Spirit of God to come within and direct you this way, then this is default right here. This is where you'll reside. You, without even thinking about it, will take advantage of people. You'll look at them after the flesh. You'll do things independently of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You'll be self-confident. You'll make up your own methods. This is where you'll be unless you pray. And one more point that needs to be made. It's only by prayer. Because that is really the relationship. It's only by prayer and relationship. That is the only way you can come here. There is no other way, praise God for it, that you can get here. The old adage that all the ground at the foot of the cross is level. For you and for me, it's the same conditions, isn't it? And that really is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you look at so many other religions out there, they predominate in here and it's about all about who you know. It's all about where you're at in that system. We're this and you're that. But Jesus says, no, come to me, all ye who are weary. Come to me and I will feed you. I will teach you. I will put this in you. But it will only come through prayer. And Nehemiah demonstrated it. Praise the Lord. we got to be men and women of prayer. I ask you today, are you a man or a woman of prayer? Are you a man or a woman of prayer? Nehemiah was also a man of courage. It's been said that courage is fear that has said its prayers. You heard that one? Courage is fear that said its prayers. All of us have fear, don't we? But it's not a question about do you have fear. It's about what do you do with the fear. That is the crucial thing. I mean, God even made us that we would have fear about certain things. It's healthy to have a certain kind of fear. But there's areas of fear which can bind you up and cause you to go into depression and all sorts of other problems. 
But my question is, when you're fearful about doing something you know is right to do, what do you do? Courage is fear that said its prayers. I want to use Nehemiah chapter 6 to talk about his courage. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now when Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left in it, although at that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come to them. How do you think he knew that they were planning on doing great harm to him? It doesn't say, does it? But we probably, I mean, by the fact that it doesn't say, I bet it's by a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. He understood and discerned that he wasn't supposed to go to that meeting. Isn't that crucial? I mean, we have to make those decisions every day. Pastor Henson and the team, when they're down in Jamaica, they got to make these decisions every day. Because there's people out there that will try to make a meeting with them because they want to do harm. Amen? If they always live in here and they're self-confident and they don't have confidence in the Lord and don't want to know the methods of the Lord, then they're going to make bad decisions and get themselves in big trouble. But if they're prayerful men, which they are, if they're discerning and have wisdom, then they're in this area. And they'll instantly know the confirmation by the Holy Spirit about which meeting to do and which to not. Nehemiah demonstrated this as well. They sent to me four times this way, and I answered them as before. Then Samballat sent his servant to me again, the fifth time, with an open letter. And it was written, It is reported among the neighboring nations, and Gashmu says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore you are building the wall, that you may be their king according to the report. Isn't this interesting? So here's the enemy standing against the man or woman of God. So put yourself in that position. First, he tries to make a meeting with you so he can cause you harm. That didn't work. What was his next thing? To slander and gossip against you. To make up lies against you. To try to defame your character. Isn't that how the devil works through man? If he can't get you head on, well, fine. I'll just defame your character. I'll just make up lies against you. This is exactly what happened. The tabloids aren't a new thing, are they? I mean, they were sending tabloids all over about lies about Nehemiah and his motivation for rebuilding this wall, inciting rebellion that he was trying to rebel against the laws of the land. So we're in verse 7 of chapter 6. Also, you have set up prophets to announce concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now this will be reported to the Persian king. So come now and let us take counsel together. I reply to him, no such thing as you say has been done. You are inventing them out of your own heart and mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will be so weak that the work will not be done. But now, strengthen my hands. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahedabal, who was shut up. He said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. At night they are coming to kill you. But I said, Should such a man as I flee? And what man such as I could go into the temple, where only the priests are allowed to go, and yet live? I will not go in. And behold, I saw that God had not sent him, but he made this prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He was hired that I should be made afraid, and do as he said, and sin that they might have matter for an evil report with which to taunt and reproach me. 
Now that's interesting because you can really see how man works through the influence of the devil. Key verse there. Verse 13, he was hired that I should be made afraid and do as he said and sin that they might have matter for an evil report which wished to taunt and reproach me. So what sin? Nehemiah says if he would have done those things, he would have sinned. What sin was it? Well, I think the first sin is the most practical and that's the preservation of the flesh, amen? All of a sudden, people are coming to kill you. That was the prophecy given to him. What's the natural man do? What's the man that's in this area, that's independent, that makes own decisions and self-confident? When someone's coming to kill you, what do you do? You hide, you flee. That's the natural man. So first of all, it's that self-preservation. Now, I believe this is so important for us. No one's given you or me right now a prophecy that someone's going to come and kill you tomorrow. But what about what happens in five or ten years from now, where you might be in a position where it might cost your life to be called Christian? When are you going to make the decision about how you're going to respond? It's got to be today, doesn't it? It can't be when the gun's at the head, because you'll compromise. Because you're so reliant on here. And so that's important to remember. The second area of sin is to break a law or principle of God with justification of human wisdom. He was not supposed to go into the temple and hide. Why? Because he was not a priest. The temple was a place that priests could only go. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Tomorrow we'll conclude with a message by Pastor Ty Goldstrom on Nehemiah. May God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.